1: everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. Broadcasting on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM, from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of beautiful British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander,
2: And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenheimer.
1: And we're recording this show on Sunday night, and as we're recording this, there's a thunderstorm hit me just now. So there's thunder noises, there's lightning flashes, there's sirens going off. This could be making interesting ambience in the background for all you people listening at home. Hopefully it doesn't prove too distracting.
2: Oh, thunder.
1: Oh. Was that 21 thunder? No. That wonderful TV show Isn't that, that we that's, the jersey uh, from. That's no. got to be a collector's item, that it jersey. Is. No, it's, do you remember, um, no, it's, that's
2: ACDC, but do you remember they used to sing that for, who was it?
1: Minnesota Thunder.
2: It? No, no, there's someone else. I can't even remember now. I was yes. thinking about Swan Guard today.
1: Oh, that's well, yeah. Series. Well, we'll talk about that in part two, but it was so nice to be back at Swangard. It brought back so many memories. There was even a, a mini Southside, very many. There was about six people in it, but it was raining. Um, we'll come to that in part two. Part three, we're going to be looking around Canadian soccer. We're going to be talking about the Canadian women being in BC. The CPL kicked off. A little bit of chat about the men's national team. But we're going to start things off in this part with a look at the white caps. A look at MLS. Because it was the first Cascadian derby of the, the season on Saturday night. Quite a big bit disappointing in terms of the result. Timbers came away with a 3-2 victory. It was a match that I I, I just thought Portland were, were not very good. They had four shots on target for the whole game. And three of those end up in the back of the net. For me, Steve, it, it felt the Whitecaps didn't deserve to come away empty-handed. But when you give up three goals on, on four shots on target, you kind of reap what you sow a little bit.
3: I feel like they handed them the game, basically. Um, uh, uh, for me, the biggest talking point for this game would be um, the formation not matching what the coach wanted to do on the pitch, uh, based on what he said at halftime. Um, that was the biggest thing about me. Um, it was it was just like the it was just like too much sitting back, not enough urgency in the first half, and then uh, when the urgency came, it's just like uh, too many holes in the back there. To give up uh, those late goals, so yeah, it's just it wasn't it wasn't a good chemistry and formula for to get a victory against the Timbers and in the hundredth meeting overall too.
1: Yeah, I know a milestone match as well, which was nice to see it, it celebrated and a, a nod to the history. And I know people go on about it's a different Whitecaps, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but I still like to claim that that Whitecaps history. I think it's important to to have a history with your, with your football teams and the Cascadian clubs. Certainly do that. But yeah, Zach, defensively. And we'll get into that. I mean, we're we're not gonna delve too much into breaking the game down. We'll just talk about the big talking points. But defensively is one of the big talking points from a White Cat's point of view. That was a bit of a horror show out there at times.
2: Yeah, there was some significant um I mean, there were some significant uh, you know, plays where they got beat or just poor poor marking. Um I, but i think that again comes down to what we what we talked about i also felt like portland really did take advantage of the of the being a wing back <laughs> right like i think the homey you know steve you talk I, I i don't disagree with what you're saying steve i think that's a, a good a good good point about what, what the game was about but i think it's one of those games where like what's the what's who are you going to talk about the most in this game it's like christian de <laughs> you know his, he he was the one who kind of who just, both I think, sides of the pitch exactly yeah he, he kind of defines and both, both, both ways um offensively and defensively and yeah uh, i mean i I've, I've heard like some people just kind of tr- kind of trash it and just say look now we know they're not good enough or you know N- now now um you know this wasn't a, a very good effort and i've heard other people say no there's some things that can be taken out of this game and once again as as frustrating as the result will be i do think there are things that they can both build from and be encouraged from in this game and one of them is uh i know steve you sort of referenced it too one is the fight back like Mm -hmm. they didn't they didn't lay over it felt like a little bit like last year you know the 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 big run they had at the end of the season where they wouldn't lie down for anyone um so yeah i don't know
1: yeah and you feel if there was another few minutes added on i think they really could have got the equalizer it's a strange team at the moment because we know they're not firing on all cylinders and there's been times that they they have looked at a bad team but you also have to think who's not in there and they haven't got chemistry going and we haven't seen the front three that ideally we want to to see over the course of the season we haven't seen the back three that we ideally want to see over the course of the season. And the midfield is still a, a big concern, but obviously you've got Caio Alejandre out and Pedro Vitti's not getting the the starts either. So I, I think there are pieces there. So I don't quite think it, it's a case of hitting the panic button, but that there's areas that certainly concern me. And we'll, we'll come to it, we'll kind of do our little glass-half-full, glass-half-empty approach. But just to, to break down the game, first of all, Steve, the first half, so little to, to talk about in that. It This was a match that was important for, for both teams because the Whitecaps, you want to keep that home field advantage and get those wins going. And they've spoken about it a lot that they have to take points at home and ideally three points at, at home. And you've got that pressure on the Whitecaps and you've got the pressure on Portland going into this because they're coming in on, on the back of three straight defeats. And it was cagey in the, the opening stages. Neither team were really going for it. And then the game just kind of blew open in, in the 39th minute when Portland get a penalty, which I, I don't know what your thoughts were when you were watching it live, because as it happened and Petrescu didn't give anything, we were all saying, well, surely there was a foul from one of the two white caps yeah. that absolutely sandwiched and clattered the guy to the ground.
3: It's hard to it's hard to simulate that kind of fall. Uh, for me, it was very similar. <laughs> it would be similar to like when you're in a bar or a club or something like that, and you're with your friends, and all of a sudden somebody comes out of nowhere and just punches somebody in the head. And that's what <laughs> that was. What like the movie was. What bars? Stopping. do you go to? No, I'm just saying, like if they're if, if in, in that kind of situation, like where you'd see that in a movie or something like that, even where Steve, I've, just... ne- I've never seen that. Well, you got to go to the clubs I go to, the bars I
1: go to. Um, but, it, remi- but, it reminded me of like when you're in the playground and there's like a fight at school, and then a kid just runs in, but he doesn't just, really throw yeah, a just, punch; he just kind of yeah. runs in and clatters and just somebody. Clatter
3: somebody. It's just, it was just essentially like that, and like I don't know what Dahomey was thinking, what he was gonna, trying to accomplish there. Um, because yeah. I, I, th- I felt like he was trying to like jump in, uh, around him so he could get in front of them. Yeah, he, he, he
1: tried to get out of the way, I think, when he realised yeah. what was happening. And like the thing for me with that goal is Luria, for that whole first half, had been given acres of room on that left-hand side of the pitch. I don't know how well it came across on the TV, but when you're watching it from up yeah. high in the press box, he was just left <laughs> alone. And part of it was because Youngworth was getting drawn into the middle when he didn't need to be. He just seemed to want to be more in the middle. And Dahomey had no idea what was going on behind him. And he, there was one point where I I was pointing out to JJ Adams that was beside me. I said, look at Laria down there. I said, he's an acres of room and youngworth going gone into the middle. And not once did Dahomey look behind to see what was happening. He was just focused about what was ahead of him. Yeah, you text me that. That's the you trouble. See. Yeah, that's the trouble when... You're not a defender.
2: Yeah, you, you you text me saying, "Look at all the space Larea, Larea has." Like he's yeah. going to totally exploit this. Well, JJ
3: yeah, I mean, JJ was taking my uh, position because you always did that to me too. Yeah. <laughs> Look how much space the I have. I know. <laughs> you, it was it was a consistent thing with you, but for me, it's like um, uh, I, w- I want to go back to the first half and and uh, and, and the halftime comments as well. Uh, really quickly at halftime, because you guys probably didn't see this on t- on TV. Um, uh, Sartanius basically said that we know Portland's going to sit back and we got into um, fitting into what they were doing and sitting back or or not playing aggressively. My problem there is if you know they're going to sit back, you've got to have a more aggressive uh, for, uh, players on the pitch. Yep. And that's where Burhalter and I think Burhalter played a really good game, but having a Burhalter and a Tybert, both yep. similar players on the pitch when you could have a Vite. Or, or or even if if is and why did you put Vite on at the halftime? Yeah, you I mean you, you saw
1: the impact he made when he came <laughs> on. So so and he got galled in the game too. I yep. felt
3: and so um so that that was a big thing for me. And even I think one of the wing backs could have been different and stuff like that. And not overly too many changes, but you had to be more aggressive then. If, but, he wa- if he want, if he knew that was coming into the game that Portland was going to play like,
2: that. do you guys think Vanny does that though, like double stacks the middle like that with players like that because he knows that they're gonna ha- one of them is going to have to cover for like a, a, a Dahomey? because well, otherwise impossible. it makes they did no it. sense because they did it. Every, the everyone in their dogs said <laughs> the same thing. Like, why are these two starting in the middle again?
1: Well, the other th- question for me though is why do you have Gutierrez starting yeah. as a center back? He's not a center back. Yeah. Yeah, I th- that I was know. that was just quite well, a bizarre they, one for me. It,
2: I think because they really wanted to just, uh, reward, show encouragement to Raposo for yes. his match-winning performance in his first ever start. Right, so I, I get yeah. why they wanted him in, but yeah, it, it felt well, a little bit weird when yeah. you saw Gutierrez in it, the it back. It definitely
1: three. felt strange. I like I I don't think if Raposo hadn't scored last week, Raposo would have got the start. I agree. So it, it's like. Vanny thought, well, I was going to play Gooty, and I've told Gooty he's going to play in this game. So he's trying to, to put him sure. into a thing, which meant that Jake Norinsky was the, the guy that missed out. And I think Jake's been doing well at, at the back this year. He's not been outstanding, but... Guess he has he made some massive mistakes. No, that's the field. thing. If you look at some of the goals that we've given up this year, I don't know how many of them you would pin on Jake being out of position or not getting a tackle or whatever. <laughs> For I me this they, is the
3: this I is think- the only sport uh, out of all the major ones where uh, uh like a, a, a somebody down the roster if they make a contribution they get rewarded with a start. Maybe it's just the white caps, I don't know. Maybe it's just the white caps. But if No, a, it's a common a, thing in football. It's, it, if, if a fourth liner in hockey scores a winning goal, if a if a backup uh like a, like a lower level receiver scores a touchdown if a, a, a down at the bottom bench player scores a winning basket they don't get rewarded with a start in the next game you basically you're you're still on the bench we still know who the better players are on the.
1: yeah pitch. that's that's actually really fair i've never thought of it that way before but that
3: yeah for me rewarding somebody for uh uh let, let's uh, all in respect to reposo a fluky kind of goal um i'm not good i i want my best players on the pitch i'm not ready
1: to reward anybody on the well I mean let's let's talk another thing about the lineup as well Lucas Cavallini wasn't pegged to start because illness. yeah he was on the bench um he'd been him and his family had a stomach bug during the week so he was a late scratch so he fell out of the team now the initial plan uh from what we've been led to believe is Brian White could go an hour so you've now got him he's gone the whole game because he kind of had to because you look at that bench and there There was not much on that bench. Toss rickets, perhaps, but there was nothing on that bench that if you had to be chasing the game and chasing a goal, which they were, that you look at that bench and go, oh, here's your difference maker that's going to come on. So they've had to go the whole 90 with White, which could, like, when they were two down, and I was was proved wrong here. I thought that was going to be it and it, it was going to be game over. I would have taken White off at that point so that you're not risking him maybe breaking down And then missing a game next week that they could maybe get the the win in. So, I mean, that was a, a risky situation as well. But I think, Steve, it also shows that our depth at the moment is a little concerning, especially in the attacking side.
3: If you know you don't have enough strikers, maybe make an adjustment at the top. Maybe play an extra midfielder or something like that. Maybe that's where Vite or somebody Maybe else. Maybe put Dahomey up top. Yeah, or something like that. Like there, there, and there could have been, there definitely could have been adjustments there where you didn't have to, um, uh, be like, without somebody. And I think they were apparently during the game they were mentioning that they were asking White if he's okay, is he still good to go? So they were kept communicating with him as well. Um, a players are
1: always going to say yes. Yeah, of
3: course they yeah. But but uh, they don't. They have those uh, those things on as well to yeah. see their vitals and stuff like that. So yeah. I guess he was. Still alive at by the half uh, hour point,
1: um, but uh, unlike the white caps,
3: yeah. <laughs> but overall, yeah. I, I, I it's just when you're stuck with that, if you're not going to put Ricketts on, uh, like you could even save Raposo off the bench at that point. That's what we're talking about. Like reposo could have played up top if he needed to. So there was enough options where they didn't have to put White. Maybe he was good to go for the sixty, but who knows?
1: Yeah, I mean, he, he seems to have come through unscathed. Something which annoyed me in the game is last week I I watched the the Portland LA Galaxy game and all three LA Galaxy goals came up the left side as the Galaxy attacked, targeting the right-hand side of Portland. But for some reason, for a lot of this game, the Whitecaps were going up the other side of the pitch. And I thought that was a missed opportunity. And it kind of showed in the first half because the Whitecaps finished the half with not one shot on target, on a home game, where yeah. you're playing an opposition that's wounded, and that in itself was very telling.
2: Well, I mean, the the game it was a tale of two halves though too, right? I thought the first oh, it half was, yeah. was pretty awful, like for everyone. Like I think, holistically, it was it was just not not a good first half. But I think that's a fair point that that feels like um, like a, a missed opportunity, or maybe. Maybe the scouting wasn't, I uh, maybe they didn't scout that game, or they maybe they didn't see, interpret that game the same way you do with your, your eyes, I There guess. was
1: no way you could have watched that game and not thought, wow, Portland's really weak on the right.
2: Yeah. But then why didn't they attack it more? And why didn't, they, I mean, well, they, I mean. Maybe, maybe they, they maybe...
1: thought that Portland were going to think, oh, they're going to attack that side because we we're weak last week. And then they went to the other, I don't know. Yeah. Let's look at the, the big talking points just from, from the second half, the the big action points. So in the 58th minute, Diber Caicedo, ball in the back of the net, in off the post, lovely finish, foul on the build-up, goal chopped off, no complaints about that one.
3: No, no, that, that was definitely a foul on
1: that one. But then two minutes later, Portland go 2-0 up, and he's got a lovely goal, and... No matter how many times you watch that back, I still don't know what Flo Youngworth was trying to do. I I wouldn't put all the blame on
3: him. I, I agree that he had kind of like a spasm defending kind of thing where he was like like he didn't know which way to go. But there was he he was all alone on that right side. That's that that's where true. you were. That's where you were proven right about nobody covering that side because they switched play really quickly and uh, Reposo didn't get back fast enough and that's where you had, your, you're talking about your double shield of burholzer and Tyburn and neither one of them covered for Raposo moving up the pitch. So, uh, I know Youngworth is the guy that's, you know, front center in the highlights for the thing, but there was a lot of blame, other blame to go around there.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was yeah, I, I agree with Steve. You know, all goals, you'll be able to find multiple points where there's, you know, mistakes made or things missed and yeah, the glaring one is flow kind of just you know being taken or I think back in the day would have uh, actually I don't think you could use that phrasing anymore, but um yeah, he, he totally got beaten like really, really bad. Um and and you know he just smashed it and smashed it in, right? There was nothing yeah. there was nothing there was nothing to it. But it seems right. It was you you don't want to leave. Even your you know, your best and most experienced central defender that alone in that kind of situation
1: no and it just it it kind of summed up how Youngworth's season has been because before the season started i i had said for me he was one of my starting three and steve you for you he wasn't mm. and for me now he definitely isn't <laughs>
3: No, yeah. There's obviously the Blackman thing, which I don't understand. If he, I guess maybe he wasn't. Uh, yeah, I don't think he could have something. gone
1: the whole game. Yeah, but, but still. I was a bit surprised that they that they brought him on, but. And
3: then, and then, uh, the, the the questionable one was risky on uh, not being on the field, considering yeah. the other options. But um, overall. Um, I had him like fourth or fifth on the depth chart and with the injuries going on it's it's I'm not saying that he shouldn't be on the pitch but you can definitely
1: see where you don't want him there every game. Now the weird thing was it took the White Caps to go two goals down before they really started to to hit their stride that also coincided with Russell Tybert getting taken off. Coincidence Zach?
2: Many would say not.
3: <laughs> well, I, I'm, I think it's more Vite coming on. I, I would give more to that than Tiber
1: coming off. I know, I'm just being a little yeah. facetious. But no, and then yeah, obviously, that, that I sub think, changed the game because you know, Vite added that spark. And I think we saw the, the best half out of gold or even the best half hour out of gold in that second half that we've seen all season so far. For sure. Uh, a lot of that really was sparked by, by Vite. And then the, the white caps had chances. Berhalter had a, a long-range shot. White had a, a header that was just tipped over. Gold had a, a shot that was saved as well. And then the White Caps get back into it. 76th minute. Lovely finish from Dahomey. Mm-hmm. Showing what he can do in the attacking final yeah. third.
2: It's showing why he's on the pitch, right? Yes. Like that's why he's there. They want him to get in, in spaces like that and finish and finish like that. And ultimately, I, I don't know if I said it before this way, but he feels he feels like uh, he he's playing in that spot the way like my son and I put together our FIFA team where we're like we know this guy's good he has pace he can contribute to the team and it sort of says like it's his third or fourth position so we can we can put him in there because we know we want him offensively to to be able to score for us and that, that's what it feels like i mean so he he came through on i mean he came through all around i think
3: <laughs> you also you also when you put him in the formation you get a minus four next to his overall rate,
2: exactly you, yeah. totally <laughs> yeah yeah exactly. you're bang on Steve.
1: I, I, would no, also was, say I mean though, credit
2: to him it was great finish
1: yeah but i would also say if you're looking at it from uh a Portland point of view or a, just a general point of view. Oh, yeah. No defense should allow a cutback to run that clean yeah. for that far to get to a player at the back of the box. So, terrible defending. But, still, but quality finish. Like, yeah, it was. Good
2: placement, good power.
1: So, good gave the Whitecaps hope and it was hope that lasted two minutes before Chara made it 3-1 and it was more defensive horror, Steve, and... It, it was a bit fortunate for Portland, a bit unlucky at the same time for for the Whitecaps because it, it just took a, a bounce yeah, off a the homey, bounce. and then Gutierrez just couldn't get a foot on it to try and get it clear or get a tackle in, and then Chara just he never gave up on it, which was the thing, yeah. and he should have because it looked like yeah he'd he'd lost it, and that that was just the the killer blow in the end.
3: Yeah, that's another like uh, FIFA bounce that uh, to, yeah. uh, like, to, to uh, FIFA, the game. Uh, but overall, yeah, there's nothing really you can do when it's a bounce like that. That's just a bad bounce for them. But credit to Chara for uh, staying with it and knowing what to do and not hesitating uh,
1: when he got control of the ball. That was the key there.
2: I was disappointed it wasn't a bicycle, but yeah, it was a good finish.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's, he's slipping now. It's like <laughs> it's a couple of weeks now without one. I don't know what's happened yeah. to him going off the boil. And then the last couple of talking points, a tale of two penalties. Eighty-eighth minute. Now, what what do you think about it being a penalty? When I first saw it, I I didn't think it was a penalty, but then you see that specific angle face on looking out from the goal, and for me, uh, gold was taken out, his leg was taken out, and it was a penalty.
2: For me, the, the gold one, first off, was a, a really great Quick build-up play from the Caps, with uh, some some nice nice passing on it. But I actually didn't think it was a penalty at all. Uh, so I was a little surprised when they um, when they looked at it. I didn't think it was a penalty until I think you might have said this, Michael. The very last angle they showed, like if you were like as though you were the keeper. Yes. And then you saw this. You, you saw, saw the, the legs or the yeah. thighs taken out. Yeah. I did feel like I did feel like the even though. The touch from gold is kind of at that same moment as he gets the contact. Had there not been contact, or the contact had been less invasive, there's the that ball's gone. The defender has it. That ball's cleared. But, but but, the thing um, is,
3: you don't you, you don't know if that that contact caused the ball exactly. To get away. That, yeah. So that's yeah. that's the thing. Is if the if it's at the same time,
1: then you have to give the penalty. I was just wasn't sure if it was inside or outside the box. It was very close for me. I mean, end up getting given, and they're thinking, oh, they're going to be right back into this one. And Christian Dahomey steps up and it wasn't a horrible penalty. He just didn't get the height on it.
3: No, it and wasn't then... a, it wasn't horrible, was it? But it wasn't good.
2: No.
1: It wasn't a no. good
3: penalty.
2: And I mean uh, he has a short run-up that I really usually do not like.
1: No, I don't like that either. I mean, if you want to talk about a good penalty, Esprit is in the first half. That yeah, wow was a lovely penalty. And That's I, how thought, you take a I penalty. thought
2: actually I thought him stepping out, I thought there's a chance he's gonna miss this.
1: But no, I, no, that, no that's that's the height that the homie no. had to get it. And or the or get it closer to the post. Yeah, and it was just clear before he got onto it, and you think, ah, uh, oh, well, that's the this moment. Is, uh,
3: but overall, um, for me, if I, I feel that like, the keeper saw something in the build-up, and that's why he was able to guess right as well. The homie gave away where he was going to go, mm. for sure.
1: Then they they got a second penalty, deep, deep, deep in a stoppage time. For, for me, I, I'm i still not sure about this one. Diber Caicedo goes down, Petrescu gives it, he gets get called over to look at it and sticks by his decision. Obviously didn't think it was clear and obvious to change his mind. I I think Caicedo instigated it by going into Bravo and then Bravo just kind of gives him a little nudge. I, I I thought it was a soft one.
3: Yeah, that, that was a little soft, but I think they, they kind of met each other in a way. So I think that the fact that the defender was going towards Diver, I think that's the main reason it was called. Uh, for me, I, I think at that point, I don't think Petrescu was going to overrule it. I think he was just sick and tired of this far of artificial. And by the end of it, I think they had a bigger rivalry than the, the <laughs> whitecaps. I,
2: uh, I think Petrescu is actually really wrong on this. And I think... He just didn't want to be shown up by Var. I think he feels like he got called out for missing the first one or whatever. And because to me, it's clearly shoulder to shoulder, mm-hmm. and it's um, not—it's not a foul.
3: I don't think it was shoulder to shoulder because I can see—you could see, you could see in the replay a little bit that the uh, the uh, was it Bravo? Um, mm-hmm. He he did shove his hand forward, like his hand left yes. his, his from, one of the,
1: from one of the angles. You do yeah. see a little push.
3: Uh, there was a push, so that for me, that's the where I think the call was made. Especially,
2: you're saying he, he uses open hand into not, the back of the player. No, no, no the not side? open
3: hand. He uses arm to shove. Yeah, uh, yeah kind of like I, I'm maybe, showing
1: you open hand in here. But, but, the, but, the but that's the thing, though. You this. can go shoulder to shoulder. That's
3: not shoulder place. to shoulder. That's a
1: four. No, it was, was kind of like a. Oh, his it, for arm me, way. it was a it was a slight push, but for I don't think it was enough to.
3: No, I don't. I don't think so either. But you also like. There's been calls where in the past where a bigger player will knock down a smaller one and the penalty will be given. Like, but that ask, that was right. why I think
1: to... he didn't override it because he so, he sees that movement from Bravo and he thinks, yeah. well, I don't know, I'd have to really sit and analyse this and we don't have yeah. time because we're For in the 96th me. minute and I want to go home and have a nice pie and, and both roll.
3: Yeah, for it's, me, this wasn't, this, there wasn't enough clear and obvious to, to warrant even a reveal on this one personally. But
2: To me, the arm is not involved in the pushing. The arms as he's racing up to the guy and his arms just kind of extended. Uh, and, and they like come it, together shoulder to shoulder. The arm that, doesn't
3: that's use where, force to me. That's where for me, it wasn't clear and obvious. The fact that we can't even agree on that. That's yeah. why I don't think it should even be reviewed. But, well,
1: l- l- let's just okay. agree it was a penalty. Gold scored it. That's why you shouldn't trust Gold to take the penalties. And it was 3-2. They had two minutes to try and get something going and they tried to throw everything at it. And that's why I said I feel if they'd had an extra few minutes, Portland might have caved. But we'll never know. And it ended up as a 3-2 as a defeat. Vanny and Ranko in their post-game interviews both said they were pissed at, at the results. And quite rightly so. Because I do feel the, the, the Caps were unlucky not to, to take anything from this but just and who are they pissed at um everything ranko was pissed at the some of the defending he said okay. he'd like to see that back but just the that the effort that they put in and didn't get anything from it and Vanny pissed off maybe not capitalizing on the chances that that they created and and I, i'm sure he was very pissed off at some of the, the defensive things as as well but, because they can really only be upset with themselves. Right? Oh, yeah. You, ah, that, no, you, that's what they were pissed yeah, at. They okay. were pissed off at a, themselves you, and not You miss a penalty and you defend
2: it. like that, you're going to lose.
1: Yeah. like let, Let's look at a, a glass half full, glass half empty, something. So, glass half full, I think it was a, a good second half display. As I mentioned, probably Gaul's best half of the season. Mm-hmm. Vite was good, as we talked about when he came on. Kaysedo was busy at times, but we need to have him busy more often in the games when he's on he looks dangerous but he drifts out of the game um I, I thought Berhalter is looking better with each game and if we're only going with one dm for me it's Berhalter, not tybert i, I just feel he offers a, a lot more both defensively both for, and attacking
3: uh, uh defensively they're probably even but definitely attacking there's more of an effort to get forward with his passes
1: and i i last glass half full one for me is they they created chances and they were better in the final third which is what vanny has been asking for all season so far is more penetration more danger in the final third more movement more aggression and they did that they just didn't take the chances
2: yeah they definitely created more chances than than they have uh, I think felt like all season
1: any other positives glass half full stuff you want to take out of this
2: I think, did you? I don't think you mentioned uh, just the, the fight back.
1: Yep. Yeah. Fight, fighting just, spirit. Yeah, the fighting spirit. See. If we look at glass half empty, and we've touched on a lot of these, at times it looks like they can't defend for shit, basically. Just to, to put it bluntly, Flo didn't have the, the best game. I don't think Guti should be in a back three. He's not suited for that. The space that is just given up between the. The midfield and the wing-backs at times, uh, or the the wing-backs and the, the defence at times, it's like kind of scary. Poor depth, especially in attack. I don't think that Tybert is the the guy that we need in the team just now. Any other negatives that we haven't touched on?
2: Well, the glass that's, I guess, you know, just under three, three quarters full is, how, like, how did it feel in the stadium, Michael, uh, attendance-wise? It, it it did not look good on TV, especially because you had like the night before to compare it to where it wasn't cram full, but it looks so much fuller.
1: Yeah, it's it 16772
2: was the official attendance. But that's, that's, f- a, cra- that's a crazy thing because the official attendance for the Canada game was almost exactly 4000 more yeah. and it looked way more full.
1: But what I would say is the, the old curva section behind the goal for the women's game was pretty empty oh yeah yeah whereas yeah, we'll, there was we, we'll, there was a lot of folk in that section for this one yeah we can talk about that if we're going to talk about that yeah game, we'll talk yeah. about that in, in in part three um the, it wasn't a, a fantastic crowd a fantastic atmosphere but i think what people must remember as well is the tarps have been removed which shows a lot more empty seating so if the tarps were yeah. there and you're looking at it as like visually, oh that was twenty two and a half thousand.
2: Right, Now
1: right. it's twenty seven. So the gaps look a, a little bit more.
2: But most of those tarps aren't visible on TV, Michael. Like I'm just talking on TV. Oh, I
1: don't know because I didn't yeah. see it on TV. So yeah. But, but the, um, the other thing as well, there was it was a lot of folk were late getting in because the traffic was horrendous because the Canucks were on. There was a concert on. There was yeah. a lot going on downtown yesterday, and I just made it in just before kickoff as well because I tried to take a side route and I, it was a it proved to be a disastrous decision.
3: Uh for me a glass half empty would be not getting enough service in the box to like a Brian White. Um I felt like he was isolated way too much. I think he only had one opportunity or maybe two. Actually maybe two. Uh the one in the first half and then there I think there was one in the second half where which was stopped near the crossbar. But overall I I yeah I don't I just don't think that they had enough get like ball to get to him. and that's where um you know you talking about the wingbacks the wingbacks had, like I felt like there was nothing going up the pitch like when they were central then they were fine like Dahomey. but when they were there was nothing out wide that was a very uh, attacking mm. uh, dangerous a
1: couple of, uh just questions just to to ask you to to round up this bit of the white caps chat it, it, the transfer window. Is still open. And for me, I think the Whitecaps should be looking to be busy in it. I'd like to see them possibly bring in uh, another central defender because I I think we maybe need that because we still don't know what's happening with Eric Godoy. And we've got players like Jake Narwinski that aren't really centre-backs that you're relying heavily on. And I think I'd also like them to add to the attack as well. And we know that the midfield's a problem, and that is apparently what they're saving the DP spot for. But they have to be busy, I think, before this window closes if they want to be competitive getting into the summer.
2: I mean, the the DP spot, that's linked to the summer, right? Like, there's, there's It seems not, to be, yeah, there's a number like, six that's going to be coming yeah, in. Yeah, so it's not going to change that. Um, I mean, I think it's, I don't think it's time. I think we're past the time, Michael, where we can say we don't know what's happening with Eric Godoy. I think... We all know what's happening with Eric Godoy because it's been almost the same his entire time here, except for True. maybe very, very early on. Um, I mean, he's just injury prone, right? I, I don't know if you could say it any other any other nicer way, but um, so yeah, I think your shout at a, another center back option is maybe uh, maybe valid. However, um, we haven't heard anything right from Axel saying, "Oh, we're." No we're looking at this or we're doing that. So I, I wouldn't, ex- as much as it, it would definitely help them to, to make some additions while the window's open, I don't see them actually doing that. Do, do you?
1: Sadly, no, but I think they need to. Like, I, I would be looking at teams that maybe have some excess centre-backs, but could maybe do with a right-back and just put Jake in that trading block and say, look, here's a guy that we can maybe do a little trade for.
2: Isn't this also where M- MLS Next Pro... Is supposed to like help in terms well, of... Well,
1: yes, and for me, you've got Christian Campania back there, and his brother Mateo, who is on the the MLS roster. And I I like the two of them, but if you're not going to give them an actual look this season, you need to bring someone in this season. Yeah,
3: they I I feel like they need for me they need somebody at every level. Uh, they do need uh, another central defender. Um, it doesn't have to be a top central defender. I think Ranko and Blackman are probably your two top guys this year, but they need somebody in that three, four spot uh, that can help out, uh, especially if Godoy leaves. And then I think uh, if you're saying the number six is coming this summer, then wait for the summer, try to figure that out. Uh, But I think they do need somebody up top as well, a striker. I don't, again, this doesn't need to be uh, a a number one or even a number two striker, but they need somebody off the bench. Um, Maybe if they could find somebody like, uh unearth another and I'm not saying they're gonna, but <laughs> unearth another Brian White type who might not score as many goals as he did coming in, but could contribute off the bench. I,
2: I know you kind of talked about it during the game, Michael, but I mean if you sign to St. Ricketts, surely it's for moments like that game where you're like, okay, we don't want to push this returning our returning key striker beyond his limits. Yeah. That's why you have toss. Whether you yeah. think he he's gonna, you know, score in every situation like that or not like he really to me felt like he should have seen the the field even if it wasn't immediately to replace white to maybe to partner him um but it felt like if you sign him he needs to try and make a contribution or he needs to be given the opportunity to make a contribution in games like that
1: yeah and we've seen what he can do in MLS i know that's now going back a couple of seasons now because he's he's just not had a run but i i i think there was nothing to lose there so i mean the the white caps are in tough at the moment and they've got a three game road spell coming up that is not going to be easy there's Montreal next week then it's a trip to Austin then it's a trip to Seattle that is three tough games before we get into Montreal when I was watching the highlights of the game against Red Bulls I was thinking to myself oh I wonder what it would take to tempt them to trade Romeo Kyoto for Lucas Cavallini how much extra would we need to throw in? Would we need to throw any extra in? Uh yeah, we would. <laughs> I, or, yeah. I I'd I'd take that. Obviously. But let's let's look at Montreal because it's going to be a tough game next week. They were pretty good against New York Red Bulls. They went to New York. They went one down. They came away with a 2 1 victory. And that the goalkeeping gods giveth and then they taketh away for the Red Bulls because the winning goal. I have no idea yeah. what, what he was thinking about there, but well taken go- by Kyoto.
2: Couldn't have happened to a nicer team, Michael.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was watching that and I thought you'd be delighted by that. But, I mean, Montreal, they've kind of kick-started their season uh, a little bit. They had a tough start and I, I, I've looked at their squad and I said this uh, before the season started and they've got a very good playoff bound squad and they've been slowly climbing up the, the standings now they're they've played six games they've got seven points they're sitting on ninth they're just one point back off the playoff places they're three points back from from third in the east because the East's really really tight just now that is not going to be an easy game and then you've got austin who are excellent at home and then seattle who are just excellent it, it's it's hard looking at these and thinking what are the Whitecaps going to get from this. I mean, what what are you expecting from these three games?
3: Um, uh, just basically trying to hang on at this point. Uh, trying to get as much as what you can, um, from these results. But you're right; it's not going to be easy. They gotta they gotta but they gotta start off strong. Otherwise, they're going to be even more pressure to get more points, and that's where you make mistakes. So that first game against Montreal, they gotta take advantage. They gotta find the Camacho holes. And they got to
1: take advantage of those holes. <laughs> I mean, Camacho might be wholly at the back, but at the other end of the pitch, he scored a nice header this yeah, week for them. So I mean, you don't, don't let want it to fool you, Michael. Don't let it fool you. Yeah, but it's like I was watching that going. Oh, that's Whitecaps marking. I can see that happening next week. But the the thing is, when <laughs> you drop points at home. You've then got to go and make them up on the road. That's what all the coaches say. And you look at this stretch of games, and you're thinking Montreal might be our chance to grab something, but oh, I I don't know. They've got no, the I bell mean, ends there, and oh.
2: yeah, I mean Montreal, I mean sort of Vancouver going into these three games, Michael. I think you know one of the things we talk about with the, with the whole lineup and whatever is yeah they. It, they need to be healthy. They need they need these players back, which we know is not going to happen overnight. But, you know, you talk about Godoy, you talk about Caio uh, Alexandra, you know, there's there's players. And then, obviously, Gold and uh, White, you know, being fully fit and, you know, being able to go 90 every game. Like, these are things you they, they need. They absolutely need to be competitive. And so, that's the first thing. Uh, those those things, I don't know, uh, or, you know, I guess Luca, Luca uh, Cavallini being back as well.
1: Yeah, Um, I mean, we might finally get to see Gold Cavallini, and White leading the line.
2: Away to Montreal, that might be, you know, you're talking about, you know, going out, I mean, you know, hitting them in the mouth, making, you know, coming at them right away. That would be a good way to do it. Um, But I agree, I agree, I agree that it's more uh, using what they have. I think the coaching staff really needs to have, um, I think, a little bit, more cohesive of a plan, or a little bit better of a plan on how to how to get points in these games. Montreal the, will, will not be easy. Uh, Austin uh, will not will not be easy, um, and Seattle will be very hard. The
1: the thing though with Montreal is they've got the worst goals against record in the league so far. Well, tied. They, they've conceded fifteen goals. I've have San Jose in the West. And also uh, Miami in the in the East, which are the two bottom teams of the of the two conferences. But, so, but
2: Montreal also is now they're done in the Champions League, right? They have this up up spell now, right? Yeah,
1: but I was also going to say Montreal were also the highest scorers exactly. in exactly with eleven exactly, and a lot. they're the the second highest scorers, but be, behind LAFC and, and Austin in the in the West. So yeah. <laughs> I I. I I could see a two nil win for Montreal in this. We won't we won't do a big preview because I, I hope to maybe bring out a, a special midweek show because we might have a few things to talk about midweek and maybe get uh, Yvonne from from Montreal and have a little chat with her as well from the Ballers Round podcast. I haven't asked her yet, so if she's listening to this, this is it's the first of her hearing that I'm going to get in touch with her. But yeah, we might we might do that midweek. But two, I'm going to 2-0 Montreal.
2: Well, I said 3-1 Portland and it was so close.
1: Yes, I know.
2: I'm uh, oh, sorry, I think I said, in my memory, I said 3 No, be-
1: Ben Cooper Whitecaps did point out that you said it was 3-1 and he was all set to blame you.
3: Yeah. I think it's a, I think it'll be 3-3. I think they'll let Montreal will score some goals and Vancouver
1: will take advantage of that bad defence. Oof. Okay,
3: I
2: will go. Uh, so, Michael, what did you have two 0 Montreal?
1: Two nil. Although it is Easter weekend, so I am worried they could get crucified. But oh my! Or maybe they'll rise back from the dead.
2: Oh my! Um. uh Well, I don't. I won't go contrary. I, I think it's good. Let's. I'll go another. Let's say another three one. Uh, uh from Montreal. Hmm.
1: Well, we we won't do a, a big. MLS roundup mainly because I have not had a chance to watch too many of the games but we'll give you the, the scores from around the Western Conference and it was the LA Derby, Galaxy 2, LAFC 1, we'll come back to that one in a sec, RSL and Toronto drew 2-all, Dallas beat Colorado 3-1, Houston and San Jose, barn burner 7-goal thriller, 4-3 to Houston, Nashville got the better of Sporting Kansas City, I I will mention a little bit about this just now. Did you see what I tweeted out late last night? Someone tagged me in it. Johnny Russell went in the stands to fight a fan. No. Oh, you should see my tweet. Someone shouted something at him, and he went over pointing, and the next thing he's climbing over the advertising, and he's in the stand, and his teammates have to pull him away.
2: Is he worried about the sardines and trawlers stuff?
1: I I don't know, but it's like you can take the boy out of Scotland, but... He pulled the Tim Howard. I, what I think MLS this a is a sign is you have to you have to now just reunite Johnny and Ryan here. That that was that was the sign for that to happen. <laughs> Maybe he's trying to get in with the
3: Scotland national team by showing that he's Scottish and jumping into the stands. And stuff like
1: that. <laughs> you, you've got to see it. Check my my Twitter. It was late last night. I, I tweeted, retweeted that out. Um, and then Austin beating Minnesota one 0 in the Sunday game. So that was that was all what the a action.
3: Goal. I, should, I don't know if you guys saw it, but the Charlotte beat Atlanta 1-0 thanks to an Olympical goal.
1: Oh, Right off oh, the corner.
2: Yeah, wow. right
1: off the corner. There were, I knew, there I were knew they nice beat them, game. and I've got that on the PVR, so I'll, I'll dig that out after we I watched so many Jordan. games
2: this and they're kind of blending together. Yeah, but, I, um, I want to
1: just quickly talk about the LA Derby. Yeah. That was exciting. A lot of controversial moments. Vela had a goal ruled out for the first half, and then Blessing, Got one rolled out in the ninety eighth minute.
2: I, I don't remember the Villa one, but to me the the blessing one, the angles I saw, he was offside.
1: Yeah, he, uh, he, yeah, because as soon as you saw it, although it was it was apparently it wasn't blessing that was called, it was File at the top of the yeah. box that yeah, they yeah. called it. So Still, yeah. that was offside. Yeah. yeah, eleven bookings in this one as well. That's what you want from a derby. Well, That's what I want from a derby. Maybe maybe MLS aren't wanting that, but
2: it was good. It was good for Vanny. Greg Vanny was very good for him.
1: Oh, I thought he meant Vanny Sartini. I thought did did he have money on the Galaxy? But
2: no. And then oh, there were also went after the ref after like I think
1: DeSantis had to, like hold his players back. Yeah, from... which I thought was ironic because it was usually MDS that was going after the refs after yeah. the games. Yeah. But just we'll rattle through the standings just to finish this part off. LAFC out on top, 13 points from their six games played. Galaxy in second, 12 points from their six. So there's no unbeaten teams now in the West. Salt Lake are third and 12. Austin fourth and 11. Dallas fifth and 11. Houston sixth on 11. And then Nashville taking that seventh and final playoff spot for now with 10 points. Then you've got Portland on nine. Colorado on eight. Minnesota on eight. Seattle on seven. Kansas City on six. Vancouver, second bottom in four. And then propping up the West, at San Jose on two. I just want us to come and play San Jose soon, but we're still a few games away from that. They're still winless. They're probably looking and going. I wish we were playing the Whitecaps soon as well. But that is it for our Whitecaps and MLS chat. But it's not it for our Whitecaps chat. Because we are going to be back looking at Whitecaps FC2 with their home opener at Swan Guard and another Cascadian derby against Timbers 2 we'll be back chatting about all of that and have some fun audio out of those games as well after this Hi, I'm Ryan Gold and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our Artist of the Month for April here at AFTN, English post punk band Susie and the Banshees. That was their first single from the band's ninth studio album, Peep Show, released in 1988, Peekaboo. A little bit different from them. Really like that one. We've got one more song to come in this episode from Susie and the Banshees. That'll be kicking off the next part. But in this part, we're going to be turning our attentions still on the Whitecaps, but to Whitecaps FC 2 The home opener took place on Sunday at Swangard Stadium. Great to be back at Swangard, bringing all the memories back to me of when I first moved over here, watching the Whitecaps back in the USL days. It was a 2-all draw. After 90 minutes, the Whitecaps dominated the match from start to finish. They should have been out of sight. They were hit by two goals against the run of play, but they fought back twice, including a dramatic stoppage time equaliser that took the game to penalties. They lost the penalty shootout 4-1. I think they used up all their, their finishing before then. But it was an entertaining game. They at least get a point out of it. They don't get the bonus point for losing the shootout. But it was great to see them back at Swan Guard, Steve, and it was a very entertaining game.
3: Yeah, it was. They they, they had a lot of attack. They were pressing. There was a lot of good play for the wide areas, and and the uh, and the two attacking players, like uh, I think it was Beecher and Herdman in the middle, um, they had their chances, but it's just yeah. just not able to connect. Unfortunate. Uh, uh, and I think the Portland keeper. Uh, he he had some pretty good saves in there uh, to deny them chances, but overall, yeah, very entertaining game. And I agree that the the Whitecaps should have should have had this game done and dusted uh, like sooner, like, so that Timbers even their goals wouldn't have been effective.
1: I, I think once they tied it up at one apiece, they were just going for it. They wanted yeah. that win, and that's what got them caught out in the, yeah. against the run of play for to go two one down. But the fighting spirit that they showed, we talked about it in the first part. The, they're mirroring the first team's fight in that regard but this is a very exciting team to watch I don't know what the official attendance was I think it would probably be around the thousand mark it certainly looked like that but if, you, if you're if you in any doubt about getting out to watch this team watch the highlights from this because it, it was an entertaining match and some, some good talent on display any players stand out for you?
3: The issue was that you knew like some positions, like I, like the the commentator, I didn't trust him to know who the players were, I, and I couldn't see anything. the The camera was so far back. Uh-huh. Um, but I, like I said, I think the I feel like the wide, the players from the wide areas, um, they they did really well. I don't know which one was doing the because they they swap back and forth too. You could tell that they swap back and forth uh, because of the the camera was so far away. You could actually see them changing sides. Um, uh, but again, I think they did well. I think that. Strikers did well. So it, it it's hard to like you have to be there in person to see yep. the players. And this the, the 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 team came together so quickly you really didn't have time to get to know the players either. Yeah. So it's difficult. But I think like overall as a team though, uh I thought they played really
1: well. That's why you should check out AFTN because we've got our profiles over four parts of all the players on the team. For me, Simon Beecher, he was yep. leading the line early. I thought he was excellent, had a, a number of good chances, he looked lively. And then Owen Antoniak got came both gone. the goals when he came on as a sub yeah. and he looked good. Ali Ahmed, uh, I thought was good out on the, the left as well. And I really liked the the defensive partnership. The two Campania brothers, Christian and Matteo, and Simone Massey back there was good as well. But yeah, th- this is why you should get out to watch the games in person because the streams are problematic. I think that that's fair to say. Yeah. Um,
3: And and, and the issue, the biggest issue was uh, for me, I don't know if anybody else had this issue, but it was constantly the audio was going out. Uh, I I think I had to refresh it like a number of times. Like it made me appreciate the CPL streams more with the way this one was going.
1: That's disappointing. Oh, so the, the guy that was calling the game is calling it from his house in Kansas City. Yeah, I don't a, get is that. It's not ideal.
3: I, I, I don't get that why Ebolus is doing that. Like, why not have, if you're developing players in, in the league and everything like that, why not develop some play by play people and get some but,
1: local people? Well, out? see, apparently that's what they've done because really? I read somewhere that they've signed a deal with ESPN for their up and coming commentators to to do these games. But They're for doing me, something so far can't. away. Yeah, nothing beats being there in person to commentate yeah, he, on it and actually knowing who you're talking about as well and having invested in it but yeah. maybe it'll change it is the start of the season and but we'll, we'll see what goes with that but that was our thoughts on the match it was entertaining disappointing to lose but after the game I caught up with Nick Dazovic just to, to get his thoughts on the game and how the team played here's what he had to tell me So Dazzle Home opener, a tough one, not quite sure how you didn't come away with a run after that, dominated. And yeah. two two goals against the runner play, really. You know, when, when we go we, we get with a game plan to keep the football, to
4: move it from side to side and try to penetrate, which I thought the boys did really well. A little nerves in the beginning again, it's a home game, they're not used to playing on grass, I know it's not an excuse, yeah. but it really is something for these guys. These guys grew up on turf. So the different type of, you know, the ball moves differently. But I thought they did everything we asked them to do. We couldn't get the goal in the beginning. And then we get sucker punched a little bit. But we have this idea about us and identity where we don't give up. And even when they scored the second goal that late, we didn't give up. And we kept going at them, kept going. That's going to be our motto. And so for me, the boys, that they came back and they went to draw the game was perfect. But, you know, we'll talk about can we score the goals that matter. And I think the first thing we just talked about here, the first thing we went through the same scenario last night. So it comes down for just, just having confidence in front of the goal. A lot of these guys, some of them was their first pro game again tonight, so it's a lot to ask of the guys, but from what I wanted from the players and the staff, they gave us everything we wanted, So except when the penalty kicker. <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah, I mean you touched on it there, I was going to say the last two games you've shown a lot of fight, the heads haven't gone down, you've yeah. come back it in both yeah. games, it, it's, a, it's the kind of spirit you want from the guys.
4: You know, I, I learned a real valuable lesson when I worked at San Jose Earthquakes back in the early, you know, two thousand eleven or thirteen, fourteen. With uh, with Mark Watson and those guys were made. They never gave up, yeah. and I and the I got them. And no, it was and it was something yeah. really interesting. So I try to bring that same identity here. Look, guys, it could be, and we practice it at train. We do scenario train. Look, we're down two nothing. Let's go. We're down one nothing. We're down a man. We do all the scenario trains to get and prepare for those moments. And I think you just see today, no one gave up. It was really impressive and. Look, we lost the game in penalties, but I'm happy we
1: grinded a point at the end of it. But again, you know, happy for happy for the kids, you know. Just last thing, it's three games so far. First one was a bit of an up and down game, but then last week against Real Monarchs, excellent performance, came away with a shootout win. So it's three points now from the first three games. Yeah. How do you kind of summarise what you've seen so far from these three games?
4: You know, it's. In, I don't. I haven't looked at the table yet, to be honest with you. I don't even look at the table. I don't know if it's if that's wrong or right, but I just don't have any reason to look. No, yeah, but I just don't look at it because it doesn't mean anything to me right now. What What means to me is the type of football we play and try to put them in situations, stress a little bit because the way we try to play and try to move the ball. I want to get these kids ready for value one day, and hopefully sooner than later that they can actually go in and, and and perform. And I think that's the biggest thing for me. So there's been a gradual. Performance increase every time, and I think the guys feel it, and we're just going to keep moving on from it. But I'm, I'm happy with it. I'm proud of the kids. that It's you know they love it. They're playing in front of a crowd too, and it's good
1: for them to finally taste this, you know. Okay, thanks so much for your time, thanks. and I will see you next time no problem, Cheers, too. man. Nick they there, just sharing some of his thoughts from the the caps draw, stroke loss against Timbers two at Swan Guard on Sunday afternoon. We will have coverage of Whitecaps FC2 on AFTN all season long on the site and the written side, on the podcast as well. You know how much we love this team. We want to bring you that coverage. We want to encourage you to get out and watch this team. And I thought it was it was nice as well. We, we spoke that some of the guys were going away with Canada's under-20 team. So you've got Jay Herdman, Matteo Capania, Eric White, from Whitecaps FC2 are going away with the Canada Under-20 team to Costa Rica for a training camp and a couple of games. Cam Habibula over in Pacific as well. So I thought it was nice that they were all allowed to play their games for their club teams this weekend and then join up with the camp as opposed to them missing this. For, for a number of these guys as well, it's a big thing to, to play their home opener in front of family, in front of friends, in front of fans at a historic place like Swangar Stadium as well. And even though they lost, you could tell afterwards just from seeing the players' reactions and interactions with the fans, just how much they enjoyed it. And as I said to to Steve there, there was a, a few... Good standout performances and one of the players that's really impressed me in the first three games of the season so far has been attacking midfielder stroke forward because he has been used in the forward role but primarily he is a number 10 and that is Jay Herdman. So I got a chance to catch up with Jay on Friday before this game just to talk about him signing his first pro deal what it's been like starting off the season with WFC2 and his call-up to the Canadian national team as well, and lots more. So go stick the kettle on, grab your biscuit of choice and sit back and enjoy our feature interview for this episode with WFC2's Jay Herdman. (laughs) Thanks for, for joining us today, Jay. It's it's nice to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're recording this on Friday, so it's before the home opener on Sunday, but it's going to go out on our show after the, the home opener. But I'll, I'll talk a little bit uh, about Sunday just to kick things off. How excited are you to get this home opener, playing at Swan Guard, a stadium that means so much to the Whitecaps' history over the years and is, is one of the, the best playing surfaces in the lower mainland
5: that's exciting i don't think uh, many of us have really played in front of a like a home environment where there's fans and stuff i know a couple of us have played in front of like parents and stuff but um uh, no it's gonna be fun like uh yeah it's gonna be fun
1: i know you've you played there before because you had the friendly with the the tigers that I'd, I'd commentated on that game and you had a really good performance there i i imagine just like all all around just now, there's a lot of excitement going on in, in the Herdman household. Has it been yeah. has it been tough to kind of just keep focused and just like look on, on, on these games? Uh a
5: lot of people are asking me about the like how gassed the family is and like what everything's like, but I'm kinda used to it now. I've been having it for a couple of years, so it's not too hard, but I'm more focused on
1: myself. That, that's good that, that's yes. that's what you you want to do so we're, we're gonna talk uh, about you in this show because that's what we that's what we want to know about so you, you've been in the white caps academy system since you were a 13 year old yeah what what' has it been like working through the ranks and now signing your first professional contract
5: it's been tough
1: like a lot of up and downs
5: um but it's been a really good learning point for me uh, the first year, White um, Whitecaps, we were playing older teams. So we got we had to get used to playing bigger, bigger people. And then the second year, it was more getting used to, like, actually getting the quality up now. So, like, playing proper MLS teams, academies, going to tournaments. And then uh, it's just been a really big learning point for me. And signing this contract is just the next step. Hopefully I can push for it.
1: So... When did you kind of realise that you probably had what it took to, to turn pro in the game? Coming from a, a footballing family, obviously, it's like football's in your blood and you're living and breathing it. But when did you know that you actually had what it took to, to be a footballer?
5: <laughs> probably, probably when I was a little kid. I don't know. Um, I've always like, this has always been my game. i like never really known anything else. In New Zealand, we didn't really play anything else either. It's just football, a little bit of rugby, but no. Uh, probably realize uh, I didn't even know. And I've always, I always think, thought of myself as a pro, so I think it helps.
1: Yeah, that does. I mean, who, who were your kind of footballing idols then when you were growing up? Because I, I, I guess like Newcastle, you've probably had yeah. to endure watching a lot of them over the years. So. Yeah. Um, who 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 did you kind of admire as a footballer?
5: Um, as a kid, it was Messi. I was another Messi. It was Neymar,
1: Coutinho's, and uh, yeah, that was uh,
5: Saint Maxim for
1: Newcastle. Yeah. I, I guess you didn't have any choice in being a, a Newcastle fan. You didn't want to be a Sunderland fan just to piss no. your dad off. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I was. So if someone was kind of if they haven't seen you play. Like, what, what is your game like? What are you going to bring to, to this team? I, when we were putting together on this site, we did profiles for all, all the guys on the team. So I was digging out old videos and I, I came across some of your goals that you've scored in the academy. And you've got one hell of a right foot on you. You've scored a couple of absolute galatsas. How would you yeah. describe your game to, to people?
5: Probably just a small attacking midfielder. Uh... Tries to create stuff, uh, score goals, uh, can go on
1: a dribble. And yeah, just name, like, create stuff pretty much. And you, you've had two starts so far in the MLS Next Pro season. How have you found a step up? I mean, you talked there about in the academy it was tougher because you're playing against older groups. This league's really weird because different teams are approaching it in different ways. Some teams are really young. White cats being one of them. Yeah. Some guys, it's gonna be some of the really older fringe MLS guys that you're going up against. But in the two games so far, how have you found that the step up? It's a lot different
5: than what we're used to. I think um for the last like year and a half we've just been playing preseason games against like local men's teams here. So I guess um it's kinda of helped to get us ready for like us being physically uh capable of play at that level. But now it's just like the speed of play The quality of players A lot of first team guys coming down to play in this league So It's been tough but Like you learn when you play better Opposition so it's been good
1: I was going to to ask you about Playing against the, like The the men's teams because You had some friendlies last year with the under 23s And then the 19s have been playing In the, the Fraser Valley this league And there's some good teams in there. There's some some quality players that you've been going up against. FC Tigers, I I know well. We do some commentary for them as well. How do, how did you find that? Because I know in the past when Whitecaps have had teams in those leagues, you're gonna go up against some guys that's like, oh, they think they're they're a good player. I want to show them and crunching tackles and stuff like yeah. that. So how how did you find that that winter season?
5: When I went to the 19s, there was a. It was a. Uh, it was different. It was like uh, what we're used to, anyways. Big like guys just wanting to scrap. So, uh, big tackles. But that's football, and like I enjoy that. It's fun.
1: Yeah, it's a good preparation for you uh, as well. And like at seventeen, you're one of the the youngest guys on the Whitecaps two team. You're going to be one of the the youngest guys in in, in the league. But you seem to have hit the ground running. You you got your your first assist, your first professional assist last week in that win over Real Monarchs. How how was that moment for you? Is that a special moment for you to to get your first assist? First goal still to come, which I'm sure will be pretty soon, but how how did you enjoy that moment?
5: Uh I wasn't even thinking about the assist, to be honest. I was just you we know, was a fighting game, we had to come back from one-nil down. So as soon as the ball went in to go up to one. I was just happy that we scored, and uh, yeah, I wasn't really thinking about it just as much. I was just glad we got the goal and got the two points.
1: Yeah, the game last week it was a, a much improved performance between the the game in Houston and then the, the win over Real Monarchs. Is it just been a case of the team kind of still finding their feet, just gelling? And what do you what would you say you would put the improved performance between game one and and game two down to?
5: Um, I think the first game. Um, I think for a lot of us, it was our first professional game, so it was just nerves, and uh, playing in front of fans. So getting over that, and then, um, just like in belief and uh, believing each other. Uh, that's why we have good tactics. So I think uh, we just got more fluid when the game started, and now we're at home. So I think um, no travel. So I think we'll be even better uh, this week
1: and it's there's a lot of firsts first professional game you've had your first professional assist and now you you've had your first call up with the the Canadian national team as well you're going to be yeah. going down to costa rica after this game what what does that that mean to you getting this call up and the chance to hopefully then go on and play in the under 20 concacaf championships with a, a berth at the world cup on the line
5: oh so dream come to you pretty much uh... So it's an honour to play for your country. And especially with two uh, tough games against Costa Rica, um, just being, a, uh, being able to represent your country is always an honour and a dream to come true.
1: You're eligible to play for Canada, New Zealand, yes. England, sadly. But um, <laughs> did your dad leave it open and say, whatever country you want to play for, that's, that's fine? Or has he been like, no, it's got to be Canada? Uh
5: no, my dad. Uh, pretty much, it's my career, so he's like, "It's all in your hands. Um, whatever you pick with, uh, he's happy with." Yeah, it's pretty much all me.
1: So uh, yeah. Uh, so what what would you say your ambitions are? You're you're obviously wanting to be a pro. Are you just looking to take it one step at a time, or is your next target like the 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 Whitecaps first team?
5: Yeah. Uh, I think that's probably the main goal is try and get as first team as possible, get a first team contract, uh, try and play in the MLS, and then from there, uh, go into the bigger leagues and stuff like that. I think that's
1: the main goal. So do you, do you ever wind your dad up that you're actually a better footballer than he ever was? Oh, of course I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, of course. Yeah. I've wondered about that, because it's like, it's like, I don't have any kids, but I always... Think if I had a son and he was a, a a footballer with way better skill than me, I'd be so proud of that.
5: Yeah,
1: I mean, what? I don't want to talk too much about your dad because it's like we yes. want this to be about you. But has it been difficult trying to to find a foothold in the game when you are the son of the national team coach?
5: Um, it was at first. Everyone was saying, "Oh, no, you're just on the team because your dad, you know, absolutely good," but you get over it. Like. I'm I'm used to it pretty much now. uh, yeah, just let the football do the talking pretty much.
1: Yeah, that that's what you need to do. And I guess you're in a unique situation because, like on WFC two, you've got the the son of the head coach on the team with you, with, with Lucas. Uh, and then on the first team, there's the weird situation yeah. that we have here that you've got Greg Berhalter's son playing in that. Yeah. Because uh, you probably saw some of the pictures I tweeted out from the Blues versus yeah. Whites game. I, I yeah. was trying so hard to get pictures of you together. <laughs> yeah. Like, Has there been any banter between the two of you or have you not really interacted that much? Uh, no,
5: uh, Sebastian, no. Yeah, we've talked a couple of times. Uh, no, he's, uh, he's a great guy. Yeah. <laughs> People probably think we fight all the time, but no, when I see him, we say hello. Uh, he congratulated me and my dad and stuff like that and uh, qualifying for the World Cup so no he's a good guy
1: Fantastic so just to, to finish this off you don't have to share too much of this if you don't want to but but what's your kind of hopes for, for this season have you you've obviously set yourself some personal goals that I, I won't ask you to, to share too much of but what are you hoping for personally what do you feel your game needs to develop in o- over the course of this year
5: well, I think my goal is definitely uh get as many goals as I can, uh, assist if I'm playing uh especially in the attacking midfield role. I think um assists, goals, successful dribbles, uh passes going forwards, passing, breaking lines. I think that's a big thing for attacking mid. But I think now I just need to get used to probably uh playing these bigger guys, older guys, more experienced guys, and. Um, just like get used to taking hits, falling over, winning fouls, just being more smart when I'm on the ball, playing one touch and stuff like that.
1: Fantastic. And I, like, I don't know if you even know this yet, but like, are you able to go to Qatar with your dad? Like, can he bring a family with him or not? Or...
5: No, yeah, I think, Uh, I think we're in the off season. So mm. I think uh, me and the family are going to go. Fantastic. that will really, amazing. Yeah.
1: So, thank you so much for your, your time today, Jay. I wish you all the very best. Look forward to seeing you on the pitch again at Swan Guard yeah. uh, on Sunday. Thank, well, thank you. Man. Take care. Good Take good you. Great catching up with Jay Herdman there, just chatting about him signing his first pro deal. I've liked what I've seen from Jay, I think he's a, a very, very good prospect for the Whitecaps and he's going to have a, a really good year with WFC too and then let's see what the, the, the future brings for him and as we said there, it is always fun when you're a much better footballer than your dad and I'm sure Jay is winding his dad John up about that a lot because he's going to be playing at a higher level than John did. Maybe he'll move into management one day, but he's going to have a hard act to follow with his dad in, in that regard, that is for sure. But that is it for our Whitecaps to chat in this episode. But it's not it for this part. We're going to bring you this week's wavelength a little bit earlier this show. And for this week, we are going back to 1996 and a band that we featured a number of times Norwich band Halftime Oranges. They've got a couple of albums out that are all football themed. This is taken from their 1996 album, Clive Baker Set Fire to Me, and this is called Single Leather Football. <laughs> orange is there, single leather football it's my ball i'm taking it home that was always the kind of jokey thing when you were a kid and you didn't get your way on the football pitch maybe that was just what it was like in fife but that is it for this part we will be back with more canadian football chat after this hi i'm martin nash and you're listening to the aftn soccer show
0: Shatter, of no style Personality changes behind her red smile Every problem puts a stranger inside Help us enforcing our more disguise Christine, the strawberry girl Christine, banana honest lady. Savages lost in my world. This big-eyed girl sees her face is unfurled. Now she's in purple. Now she's a turtle. Disintegrating, Christine, the strawberry girl. Christine, banana split lady. Christine, the strawberry girl. Christine sees her face is unfurled.
1: Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the second of our songs from our Artist of the Month here at AFTN this month, Susie and the Banshees, from 1980 and their album Kaleidoscope, and that was Christine. And if you're a football show and you're talking about Christine in Canada, who else do you think of but Christine Sinclair? And Christine Sinclair was back in BC with the rest of her gold medal winning team playing against Nigeria at BC Place on Friday evening. And we're going to talk about that to kick off this part as we're going to be turning our attention to look at the Canadian national and club scene in what has been a busy few days for both. The women returned to BC, played the first of two gold medal celebration games at BC Place on Friday night. 2-0 Two 0 victory over Nigeria in front of over twenty thousand fans. I, we touched on this in the first part, Zach. I'll just bring you in right away. What was with the Voyagers section? Because that looked very empty on Friday night. Uh yeah, there,
2: there were a number of people um, who couldn't be there because they got they were sick. Ah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know if Jamie actually even made it into the stadium, or he did, and then he, there were some issues. I don't know all the issues, but like yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't be there. I I was homesick this week with yeah. something that the test told me was not COVID, um, but I was yeah. I mean you know I was talking to you yeah. Tuesday, you had Tuesday the AFtN Lurgy. Yeah, I was just like uh, Michael. I feel really bad, <laughs> and then I woke up the next morning and and felt like. Yeah, awful. um So I spent the whole week in bed. So it was uh, I was sad not to be there. I know they sold less tickets than 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 normal to begin with, which was kind of disappointing. And there was some discussion over the cost of the game. The game was a little bit. I, I know it was for celebration too. And the CS, CSA is trying to make make money. But even the Voyageur tickets were like the cheap, the cheapest, or some of the cheapest. I think you could get in the ground depending on if maybe you had a group rate or with a a team or I don't know what they did with like club teams or whatever, but it's generally the cheapest or almost the cheapest sticky you can get in the ground. And so yeah, it was a little bit, a little bit surprising. But I do know there were a number of people who were commenting on social media saying like I would have been there, but I'm stuck in isolation, right? Like, you know, Chris Corrigan was, you know, was saying that. And Walter Walter um Walter Sue, uh who travels all over to watch Voyagers game, games with the Voyagers, and then yeah, Jamie Jamie um I think yeah I know he was he posted some stuff about his uh disappointment and holding his hand up for some of the stuff but also just saying some of the stuff didn't happen because we had a bunch of people not you know not be able to to be there
1: so Jesse Fleming opened the scoring for Canada in the 50th minute then a Vanessa Gillet header in the 72nd gave him the win but this wasn't a match about the result it was all about the celebrations and the chance to enjoy the gold medal win say goodbye to a stalwart celebrate some milestone achievements mm-hmm. all of which i felt that they they did very well and yeah. the, the crowd reactions were excellent
2: yeah I, I think they did well to honor the team they did well to honor christine Sinclair's goal scoring achievement they did well to Obviously celebrates uh, Labe's, uh, you know, hanging up her boots. Yeah, and, Labe
1: uh, was sub- subbed off a minute into the second yeah, half so that, that, she that could, was, you could get the innovation.
2: That, yeah, but that did, that was the one thing where I was just like, this was not planned well, right? Yeah. You want to do it at a time when everyone's there. At, the, at yeah. the seats. Yeah, at their seats to do it. Like, with either, like even if they probably would have to wait until at least the 60th minute before you know everyone's back from going to the bathroom, waiting in line for the bathroom or waiting in line for food or whatever. Um, it felt awkward to, I know they wanted, obviously they, they wanted to do it around the half,
1: but
3: it
2: felt like- I never
1: actually thought of that. That's yeah, because there, there would have been point. people who would have, yeah, no, but know, even, would have
3: missed out. Uh, You know, you could say it at the halftime, but i rarely ever see substitutions like that where they honour somebody at halftime. It's usually in the 60th minute or the yeah, I, or I somewhere around there. I
1: remember seeing someone taking off a minute into a, Yeah, I've never seen, a seen that at half. all. I, so Personally, I think it
3: was uh, mis, mis, uh, a mistiming.
1: I, it, it was an and emotional then, exit. It was like the passing of the torch. Caelan Sheridan came on. Yeah. And the, the Canadian made a massive massive feels name. in good hands, Yeah.
2: She made, she made a, a, I think, the save of the game. Um, it was also great, the halftime, honoring the old players. right? Yeah, one's, I like that. A, yeah, ones that you see played
1: Swangard back in the day. So many of them. Christine Sinclair subbed off to a huge evasion in the 77th minute. Could this be the last time we see her at BC place? Yeah, it definitely could be. On the be. pitch. It definitely could be. It's too bad because she should have had
2: four goals. <laughs>
3: Or, we, uh, we, but we've said that before too. Could this be the last time we see her? And she's played a number. Of, uh, like I know. We'll, I don't we'll know. be
1: talking about this in in ten years' time, going. No. Oh, is this going to be the end of forty nine year old Sinclair? Did she play well I think.
2: I think they'd bring her back one, like one more time, or have a testimonial. Yeah, for her.
3: exactly. Oh, that would. But be it, that would be. But
2: the, that's the other thing about the attendance. I know lots. Uh, I mean, I don't want to engage in the whole national conversation, but the. You know, there are people who are like, oh, look at the attendance, and again, part of it is pre-kickoff images or whatever. That people are looking at, but um, yeah, there's some people who are like, oh, the ground, you know, it should have been filled. Like they should have opened up the whole thing, whatever. And you know, I was saying to someone last last uh, Friday night or last night, they could they could sell out BC Place, but I think you need to give a much more lead up time than what they gave. Right? They announced the game like what is it four six weeks ago, like. It needed it needed more like if they had announced when they announced their first games in the in the in the fall, if they had said, hey, uh, we're going to be in B.C. in the month of April, you know, back then, and they put the tickets on sale, you know, once the MLS and Canadian Premier League schedules had come out or something, assuming assuming that that was part of the logistical stuff for them.
1: I think, and you know, before the cost of gas and living had gone through the roof for many people well, as well yeah. okay, yeah. tickets. The, the, <laughs> the,
2: the cost of living with what's going on in the world right now sure yeah that's that's probably a factor for sure but if they just if these tickets had been available in january or even like halfway through february you know like i think they i think they would have had they would have i think they would have easily have filled the lower bowl and could have potentially done added you know sections in the upper bowl if they wanted to um but all in all, I think it was. From when you talk to people who were there, it seems like they really enjoyed it and had a great time. Uh, I heard the Nigerians were great supporters. Yeah, there was a lot of that. them
1: there. It was it was good to see, you. and it was and, nice to see so many families uh, and young girls there. And, and it, it was a it was a very different crowd to the next night with, with the Whitecaps.
2: Yeah, and the Nigerian team was up for it. Like, they're like, I know the whatever the, the score was, what it was, but like. They, I don't think they were like super easy opponents for Canada. No, which and was I also vi-
1: surprising considering that they were down at the bare bones.
2: Yeah, but they were, yeah, yeah, there was that too. Um, but I don't know. There's just something about the spirit. Like, did you see the video of them coming into the stadium? Like, no, out of their bus in the stadium and they have like a, I don't know if it's like, I don't know if it's a dance or if it's a whatever. No, but they're like, they get low and I don't know. It was just really cool. You can just tell they're like, they're so excited to represent their country. You know, there's like this unity amongst their squad and there's on the pitch, they gave Canada some problems and it was like, it was, it was, it was good. Now, the one thing that was against them, I think they had four I think it was at least four, maybe five, maybe five players who went off with issues. I think from yeah. not being used to BC places <laughs> surface because they had a number of subs that looked like they were inju- injuries or t- you know uh, tinges or or you know mus- muscle issues or whatever from from playing on a surface that they're not used to, but. Um, I don't know. I was concerned about the opponent, kind of like it wasn't a bigger, a bigger "quote unquote" bigger name opponent. But I thought it was, uh, on the whole, I thought it was a really, a really good, a really good game.
1: So we mentioned Christine Sinclair there, and this game was celebrating her record-setting goal-scoring achievement, along with the the winning of the FIFA Best Award. And for for all the women that were honoured and celebrated on Friday night, and will be in Langford on Monday as well, they have and still are carrying the banner for women's soccer in this country and championing the talent coming through uh, along the way as well and the desperate, continued need for at least a pro team, ideally teams plural, and even more ideally, a a league to call our own. Yes, League One BC is coming. League One Ontario exists. There's the NWSL down in the States, but that's not given these women the the living that they need in, in their home country. Will it take the likes likes of Steph LeBay and Christine Sinclair to retire and maybe follow Karina LeBlanc into front office roles to to get things moving? Would that interest Christine Sinclair? And what does she make of having a a league for young women in League 1 BC in her home province? Well, let's find out, because I got a chance to speak to Christine a couple of weeks ago. I've been saving the little interview to, to bring you... When we we're talking about these games. So let's hear just now from Christine Sinclair. Hi, Christine. Just thinking about your own journey from starting playing as a four year old, coming through the system here in BC, you had to move away. Rianne and Karina talked about having to move away to, to get careers. That domestic game in Canada seems to be moving at a glacial pace to try and get teams in a league here. But in BC this year, there is League One BC launch and there's seven new outlets for young female players to come through. How important do you feel that league is for the next lot of Christine Sinclair's to come through in BC?
6: Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously not an expert on this topic, but for me... It makes sense that there would be professional environments in Canada. Um, I think we're, yeah, the only team in the top 10, 15, 20, maybe even that don't have a professional environment. I, I know it's challenging, but other countries have seemed to pull it off. We're not saying it has to be this massive league, like an NWSL. Like We understand that in Canada, you, you start small and grow. Um, because I think, you know, very few players make national teams. That's the, that's the reality of our sport. Um, but it doesn't mean that players' careers should be over. Um, right now, you know, there's limited options in the U.S. with the NWSL or you have to go overseas and that's, that's not doable for everyone. Um, and I, I really care about the future of this program, worry that with lack of investment that you know sooner or later we might be passed by by other countries that are investing tons and tons of money to support their women's programs so yeah I think it's going to be a challenge in Canada moving forward if we don't get professional environments available.
1: Have you given a lot of thought to your post-playing career would you like to go into coaching would you like to own a club would you like to be a gm like like karina
6: <laughs> i'm uh, i'm never gonna see a soccer ball no um yeah obviously i'm gonna stay involved in the game um whether that's in the coaching side of things um in the technical side of things that's probably where i'm leaning um but I can't imagine being a head coach. Like the the, st- the stress that Bev and Rian here in Portland are under, um, I don't want to experience that at least anytime soon, so uh, maybe I'll start as like an assistant coach or something like that.
1: <laughs> Christine Sinclair there. So don't expect Sync in a head coaching role or a GM role or an ownership role, at least any time soon, but she would like to still be involved in the game, a little bit involved in the coaching side, but we know she doesn't like the the limelight, the spotlight, so one of those roles, she's not a Karina LeBlanc. No. (laughs) I, 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 Very different personality Yeah, I, I don't mean that in any bad way. It's just uh, no. she, she she's so humble for someone that's so talented. It's just it's amazing to see.
2: Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what she chooses to do with uh, with her time when she's done playing football.
1: Yeah, but which I still think it's going to be a few years. Hope. I mean, I I hope
2: she'll go to at least she gets two hundred for Canada. That's yeah. That's my that's the big thing I'm hoping for. But yeah, I mean, she I think she loves playing in Portland, and
1: yeah. Well, I mean that that is her home now. And League One BC, it is a, a positive start here for the men and the the women's game at that level in British Columbia. I'm excited for the, the season to come and beyond. And it's gonna get underway next month. It's been confirmed that League One BC, League One Ontario, and the Quebec League We'll be having a, a tournament of four teams in Laval in August. Yeah. So that's the start of hopefully having a, a national championship for League One BC and, and their elk across Canada. Now, some of you that are, are extra subscribers, and if you're not, $30 a year, $3 a month, you have got our latest extra podcast during the week where Zach and me chatted a little bit about the the women's game coming up at BC Place that was passed there on Friday and we, we brought you some audio in it as well and I just want to play a little bit of the audio that we did play in that extra podcast just to bring it to a wider audience because I, I got a chance to ask the two new female Hall of Fame Canada soccer members, Martina Franco and Rean Wilkinson, just for their thoughts on like League One BC come in, the need for a women's league and stuff like that. So here's what they had to tell me. When you were playing Martina, obviously there was professional opportunities or semi-professional opportunities. There was club games in Canada. Could you imagine that the the women's national team would have got to where they are, but at the same time the club game would have disappeared off the face of the earth really in, in terms of a high level in Canada? And what do you, what would you like to see now for the club game in the country?
7: Yes, uh, it's it's really disappointing that the club games at a you know over eighteen has disappeared in Canada. It's just unheard of at this. It's unprecedented at this at the success of our uh, of our Canadian women's team, and for the success of women's soccer across the world. Um, like, I cannot reiterate how important it was for me, my success, to be able to play all year round. And we were lucky, I was lucky at my, right at my time of playing with Canada Women's Soccer, that we were funded to be able to play full time. Um, reg- unless you were in university, there was nothing for you in the winter, um, unless there was not, yeah, there wasn't a club to play for. So we were fortunate to have funding to be able to play all year round. So now clubs are finally players when they're out of university can play. They can play in Europe, uh, in the States. It's 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 amazing, it's exciting for everybody. And I'm so uh, happy for them and envious that they can, you know, choose to play in Spain or France or England or, or America. And we need to have a Canadian league. Art, can you imagine how much more talent we would develop if we had a Canadian team, where you know not only the top thirty players in Canada would be able to play for a club team, you would have you know a, a hundred of the top Canadian players developing, and so you never know what kind of talent you would develop in their 20s I I didn't peak until my you know 30s so those were missing out on those players that drop off after university soccer um that maybe didn't peak in university and that was myself I didn't peak in university I was I peaked when I played for the Whitecaps and I was um And and luckily, Evan Pellerud recognized that and brought me on and and developed me even further. And then even when I went to play for the LA Soul, when I was 29 or 30 years old, I I improved tenfold, even by playing one year for the LA Soul. So you can imagine if we had a league in Canada, how, I mean, more fantastic we would be.
8: Yeah, if I can, uh, Mar, I think it's almost a broken record you're hearing the same thing from women's players and it's important you do. I think we're 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 missing the point sometimes. Um, there's a reason that the CPL is not attached to the MLS. The MLS is for the few that are already making it. They're already on the national team. They're already known names. We're talking about the reality of players after university. Now, if they haven't gone to the US or Canadian university, and they don't have a foreign passport, they cannot continue with their career, because they will not be able to go to Europe or to the US because they will be considered a foreign athlete and they will cost so much money that it won't be worth it for those teams. It's a very rare player that will go that's not already playing for the national team. So I'm we're all all the women's players and a lot of the men are waving the flag just so people understand that at this time if you are 21 and have not made the national team your career is over if you're a Canadian and that is it's beyond shocking and that I want everyone to understand why we're waving this red flag because we are performing so well and if we're not using this moment to start a league and we're not saying like like blow it out of the water financially. We just need something in place that we can build on because right now at 21, you're retiring and that it cannot be what we do in Canada to our athletes.
1: Rain Wilkinson and Martina Franco, they are just chatting about League One BC, the the urgent need to get professional leagues in this country for women. We've talked about it so much and we have to keep talking about it because it's only keeping it up there that's hopefully going to get some change.
3: For me, League One is probably more important for the women's game right now uh, because they need to build that depth. So if hopefully a a full league or teams come in, that they can pluck some players from that and create a full roster. I
2: I think I might have said this before, Michael, but my understanding is that there are those involved in the game in Canada who are working at the long-term solution for this. Yes. Now, that might not be helpful in the moment. And there's, know, there's, no, timeline that I, there's no timeline that I know of. But there are people who are working to to make this happen.
1: Well, the, the Canadian Premier League has long said they want to have mm-hmm. a, a women's league as well. So, I yep. mean, that is hopefully something that is going to come down the line. But, I mean, you really, you really are needing it sooner rather than later. I mean, the fact that Martina Franco Hung up her boots, what, maybe 10 years or so ago. And when she was playing, there was professional women's teams in Canada. When I moved to Canada, there was professional women's teams, or semi-professional at least, in Canada. Yeah. And now you've gone to nothing. But the game has come on leaps and bounds, and you've won a gold medal, and it, it it's kind of crazy. But yeah, the, the CPL will hopefully add a, a women's division down the line. Let's turn our attention now though to the CPL men's division because the 2022 Canadian Premier League season kicked off this weekend four games and there were some mixed games we're not going to break them down that thoroughly but we'll, we'll we'll touch on it the action kicked off on Thursday York United lost 1-0 to Halifax Wanderers when we we did our kind of midweek CPL show we, we spoke about the fact that that there's certain teams that they've got one player that they rely heavily on. <laughs> yeah. And for Halifax, it's Zhao Morelli. And especially from the penalty spot. And hey, surprise, surprise, Joe Morelli. 53rd-minute winner here, and it was from the penalty spot, making a losing start for Martin Nash as head coach. Yeah.
2: And he also went down a man.
1: Yeah, I Mateo Hernandez sent off late as well, just making the, their night worse. But wasn't a quality game, I think it's fair to say, to to kick off the, the league campaign. And it was almost deja vu a couple <laughs> of days later. <laughs> it was. On Saturday, almost, Ottawa almost. won. Cavalry nil. The home side getting the win this time.
3: Not a well, great game
1: was, of football. Another 1-0 victory. This one was a shocking
3: result for me when I saw it. Yeah, like, I
1: didn't see the game, but
3: when I saw it, I was like, "What? what's going on here?
1: Even... Ottawa are much improved this year. Um, there was another sending off in this one as well. Cavalry did have their chances; they just didn't take them. They outshot the home team seventeen to ten, and for me, they were the far better side. But it was decided by a penalty. Escalante handled in the box. For me, no question about. It. He dived oh, yeah. towards the ball. Yeah, yeah. Then Brian Wright fired at home, eighty-first minute. But then. Ottawa made it difficult for themselves in the closing stages because Drew Becky was sent off with five minutes to go for a really so weird. ridiculous stamp on David Norman right in front of the ref. Was it? In, was it? In, like I know Drew Becky. I don't and think it was not, intentional. I don't like. He's not a malicious dude. No,
3: it, but I know might, we we all know David Norman, and he might have done something to make Drew Becky do something. So I don't
2: know. But it didn't even look that. It, did, it almost looked like he was sent off more. For like the letter of the
1: law, as opposed to like oh, any okay. oh, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. It was, good point. Yeah, I don't even think David I mean, was hurt by it. Like he he may just have seen how happy David is in his Instagram post, and he just <laughs> thought, "I'm not having that. I'm going to stamp on his foot." But the attendance for this one not bad five thousand three hundred eighty. It was a pay what you want at the gate, and it was oh, yeah. a celebration of Ukraine with Ottawa having a special Ukrainian colored strip for this as well. So very nice touch, very well done by Ottawa. Yeah. Then two games on Sunday.
3: Actually, I stand corrected. This next result is probably the most shocking one out of all. <laughs> yeah,
1: this. I. But it's, it's
2: it's even more shocking when it how it came about. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's FC Edmonton won. Valor won. The the two head coaches that we've spoken to recently really rooting for in the league, especially Alan Koch at FC Edmonton. If you haven't checked out our CPL special that came out last week, episode five hundred seven. Please do. We've interviews with Alan Koch, we've interviews with Martin Nash, and we've interviews with James Merriman as well. But yeah, Alan's FC Edmonton 1 1 at home to Valour. Both goals in this came in the stoppage time of each half, yeah. with Andy Bacaro putting Valour in the lead in the one minute of stoppage time in the first half. And I thought that was game over. It was I very nice. See Edmonton finish. coming back, it was. Very nice
2: finesse inside of the foot, bottom corner.
1: But I'm pretty sure. I haven't had a chance to listen to Alan's post game interview, but he's going to talk about the fighting spirit of his team, never given up. I mean, 95th minute equaliser. It was crazy. Tobias Worszewski, the German, dramatic, stunning, lovely acrobatic. bicycle, acrobatic. Yeah. I, I'm delighted for them with everything that they've gone through to at least lovely. start off their campaign with a point.
2: The big man got up and got it in. Yeah. It it was, I mean, you feel good for them, yeah.
1: Yeah, I couldn't it, find the attendance for for this just before we came on. But... I, I don't think
2: they could find the attendance for.
1: <laughs> it was not. It, it... it
2: was a not bad turnout. Are you sure for, for Edmonton? I was going to say it felt like being when I was there in November, watching the last game of the season, <laughs> where it was like it was like a ghost town. I mean, it was more than that day, obviously, but yeah. it, it was not. Yeah, not 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 encouraging. Not encouraging for I'm sure for Allen and those who are running the club at the moment.
1: No, but at least on the pitch. For on the pitch, team, like, something I mean, to build on. If anyone didn't hear the, the chat I had with Alan, oh, Alan yes. basically said, look, we're not ready for the start of this season. That and, one uh, quote
2: you gave me, was that a private quote? Or was that in
1: was it, it, that public... it was. It was in the interview. I, the, okay. I paraphrased it to you, and I'll paraphrase okay. it to this, where Alan's basically saying, yeah, if someone's put money on Edmonton finishing bottom, at, th- at this point, they're probably very smart people. <laughs> But yeah, we we wish them very well. And the final game of the weekend, it was the championship rematch.
2: Match of the weekend.
1: Pacific FC 2, Forge 1. Lot of storylines in this with, with returning players and stuff, but definitely the most enjoyable game of the weekend. Four thousand nine hundred and thirty-eight in attendance at Starlight. I know you're a bit disappointed by that, Zach, but I thought it was a, a pretty good crowd. No, it was
2: a good crowd and I know they're gonna have a sold out crowd tomorrow night for or not tomorrow night. Yeah, tomorrow night for the for the the, the women's game, which is great um you just would have you just would love to see it full you know if this is their first game after winning the title yeah,
3: celebrating you the loved trophy. To see, and season yeah.
1: opener and i know i know it, 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 it could have
3: but... been a decision for some people to watch the women's national team instead of the pacific for this because yeah, really if you can back.
1: only afford for your family one game in the weekend i think a lot of folk probably will have gone with that and that that's fair enough what, Those... what did you think of their strips? Yeah, very nice. I liked it. Very nice. Ruined, and Caitlin, who's sitting beside me just now, agreed. By the green Volkswagen, and now I know you've got to have the sponsor on it, but why green?
2: Yeah, I don't. Like it had to contrast a bit, I think, right?
1: Yeah, but I'd I, I, I'd love it. to see I'd love to see that strip in black and
3: the white strips, like the white stripes kind of thing, the kind of opposite colors oh. instead of black. I'd like to see. It oh like yeah, that. yeah, that'd be nice.
1: It's a lovely strip. I might actually get that. It, it, it was lovely. It was a great ceremony beforehand as well with, with all the First yeah. Nation people. And I, I think they honoured it very well. It was a very good game. for the For the game itself, Diaz, five-minute lead for Pacific... Pacific should have been out of sight in this one and I was very pleased to see Amir Didich making yeah. 2-0 in the 57th minute and Steve, this is not going to be the first time or the last time, it was the first time but it's not going to be the last time we see this season Bustos with a cross to the head of Didich yeah. in the back of the net
3: For sure and with the weekend coming up this, this is basically like Didich uh, returning to the promised land after spending like 40 years in the desert roaming around <laughs> Um so it uh, so. For me, that uh, I, I like, he he looked like a different player than what you see with Edmonton. Like yeah. it almost like gave him like he looked like a a couple inches taller. He looked when he jumped up, it was like higher and stuff like that. Like that confidence of being with and no offense against Alan Koch and Edmonton, but being with a team like Pacific kind of gets you get you excited for this guy because this guy, but he still has a shout out for. Oh, uh, the national team! Like there is. And the Whitecaps
1: can... had a look at him last year, and I still think we should have maybe pulled the trigger on him. But yeah. But I mean, Forge did pull one back in the 89th minute. Ashin Yoty Johnson. Your post header. Yeah, a header, and there was just silence. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, Pacific. I I listened to the the post game interviews on one soccer. Didn't get a chance to jump onto the actual post game press conference because we're recording this right after it. But Pacific deserved winners, and they should really have won by more than one goal. But James Merriman off to a winning start as head coach. Just delighted for all the guys.
2: Yeah, it, it, like, I agree with you. It's a good. It's a good start for them. It's a massive match because you know you you beat Forge on their patch in a, you know the one-off final, and then you get to host them the next year and kind of. Remind them that you're the top. You're the top of the league. Yeah, I think those, and then obviously beating some of your your former teammates. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm
1: sure that way was a, a nice little thing for them as well. Yeah. Last little bit we're going to talk about on the show and in this part, keeping the Canadian theme going. Turning back to the national team, the men this time, because we now know who they're going to be playing in the Concacaf Nations League for 2022-23. Canada's kind of drawn in a group with Curaçao and Honduras. They're at home at Curaçao on June 10th, then a trip to Honduras four days later. We spoke about this before, but just quickly, it's not, for me, the best test for them in building up to the World Cup. I know you've got the September window as well, but I'd, I would liked maybe something a little bit tougher. There were tougher teams that they could have pulled, and I know normally you want an easy draw to go through, but...
3: Yeah, but you work when you've got, like, uh, that many teams in in CONCACAF, uh, you're not going to get that, that much competition with the, you know, whoever's in yeah, it's just a bit disappointing. I, I'm just, I just wish they didn't have to do this, this like, uh, until after the world cup was done. Yep, like they, they gave people a little bit more freedom to do it. That's where the, you know, people are, but I, I feel like you could have made more money if you had like a chance to bring in like a, a top team. Into Canada or potentially, like I think there's more money in there than do playing this uh, this competition.
1: Yeah, but the problem is, all the other teams. I don't know about South America, but it's like in Europe, they are all playing their Nations yeah. League stuff as well. But exactly,
3: yeah. yeah. I, I feel like this whole thing should, should have been because of the timing of the World Cup and when it was going to be. Because honestly, if the World Cup was in June July, this wouldn't even play. Oh,
1: that's true. That's Actually, like so. Yeah.
3: Why are they why are they not letting them prepare for it? So yeah, for me. It's a big advantage to the teams in Europe uh, because they get to play against top competition, but not for definitely. I don't even think it's a good uh, advantage for Mexico or U.S. I think they're in, in rough playing against the weaker teams. So. Yeah.
2: yeah, I mean, this is a problem we've never had to deal with before in Canada, right? Not being able to get the best opponents to get us ready for a World Cup. But I also think this is <laughs> yeah. one of, like one of the downsides of the Nations League, right? The Nations League is meant to get rid of useless friendlies um, and create more com- competition within your confederation. But this is a moment where we're seeing for sure in these next whatever s- seven months or whatever it is, that it is very much limiting how Canada can best prepare for their return to the, in the biggest stage. And so it is unfortunate. But I think Herdman and his staff and the players need to not um, ignore, like need not to you know, be all pessimistic that they can't play bigger teams or more teams that they're, are similar to the teams they're going to be playing. And they need to actually use these games to get ready. Um, and yep. so it'll be interesting to see how they go about that.
1: Don't play down to the competition. No. But that is it for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. We will be back soon with more football chat. Just before we go, though, guys, any final thoughts? Where can folk find you online, Steve?
3: Uh, you can find me at Whitecap's Beat and uh, what I learned or what I think we can look at possibly in the future is that uh, with that glass half full um, a thing that we could possibly find through sponsorship with a certain uh, Twitter user if we just add a little word. It. <laughs> Zach.
2: For me, uh, you can find me on Twitter at ZacharyAM uh, and I hope to maybe join Michael on some midweek stuff talking about other football stuff.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to as well. I'm Michael McCall. Find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Read all our stuff away from the numbers. AFTN.ca. Give us a like, subscribe, turn on notifications, youtube.com backslash AFTN Canada. We'll be having a lot of Provincial Cup videos going up on that channel soon. And as always, give us a a thumbs up or a like or a nice review on wherever you get your podcast. That would really be helpful to us as well. But that is it for now. We might be back with a special midweek show. Watch your podcast feeds for that. Until next time though, thanks for listening. Take care and mon the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.